Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad we're going to have this time together. David Wheaton's going to be joining me. And as you know, if you've been listening over the course of several months, we've been tackling the book of Genesis. We're going to do that until we're through it. And that's going to probably be sometime in the year 2036, I'm guessing. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, Genesis 14 and talk about uh, King Melchizedek. Kind of a mystery guy. Mystery king. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe it is just to me, but we're going to take a little break and bring on David. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Be right back. Imagine yourself being born, living, and dying in a place where the name of Jesus is never, ever heard. For your entire life, the chance of meeting another believer is slim to none. Christian websites are blocked. Christian radio, TV, and books are outlawed. Eventually, your life ends without any knowledge of Jesus. These places exist. Over 2 billion people live here. May 31st is the International Day for the Unreached. Take a stand for those with no access to the gospel. Discover who they are and how you can help make Jesus known to them. Download the Great Commission Action Guide at dayfortheunreached.org. You're one person and your one action counts. Get started by meeting those who are shut out from the gospel. Visit dayfortheunreached.org or find us on Facebook, the International Day for the Unreached, for those who have no access. Welcome to the show. David Wheaton is my guest. You know him from the ChristianWorldview.org. Head over there, listen to his podcast, listen to his show on Saturday morning, buy his books, read his blogs, listen to him on my show. David, welcome. Hey, good to be with you today, Bill. One-stop shopping. Yes, <laughs> very much. Yeah. How are you today? Doing very well. How good. are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that uh, we have this time to get back into the book of Genesis. I've been loving this, just so you know. I love it as well, too. It's just, it's amazing how much is in that book that really God sets the tone for the rest of history right in the first book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And tell me when this fired in your brain, how you wanted to start doing a deep dive into this. How long ago? (laughs) Well, I think you and I maybe were discussing topics and so forth at the beginning of the year. And I think I had started reading uh, through the Bible. I, I don't do it every year, but once in a while I read through the Bible. I think it's a good thing to read it consecutively. It gives you a, a context for things, and and so you're not too far. I mean, all of it's inspired, all of it's important. Some of it is more interesting to our modern mind than others. Sometimes working through Leviticus and Numbers can be a little difficult, but mm-hmm. all of it's inspired by God, so he obviously put it there for a reason. It's important to understand. It gives us context on what's taking place in Genesis to understand uh, who Christ is, why he came, and all these things are con- connected. I heard well, well, one well-known pastor say one time, well, we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament, and that, that's a complete 
wrong statement. I mean, the, the New Testament is constantly looking back uh, to the groundwork set in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament's constantly looking forward to the one theme of the whole Bible, which is the coming of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And so we see all these big themes uh, right away in Genesis. And I just, I look at it and you think today, all the discussions we have about what is marriage and what is gender and uh, who God is and all these different issues that we face today, they're dealt with right in the beginning chapters of the Bible. I just think that's an amazing thing. I do too. Now, last time we talked about Genesis 12 and 13, and it's always good to do a little recap before we jump into 14, if you don't mind. Yeah, right. No, Genesis 12 and 13 is when Abraham, who is the the first patriarch, his family is moving from this this town in southern modern day southern Iraq called Ur. You are, and his father Terah all of a sudden decides to take the family over to the land of Canaan, where the Canaanites live, and that's what we call modern day Israel, basically. And so they go from Ur, and the, the way they have to get there, they just can't go straight west because that goes across a desert, and they that be you know just wouldn't work from a, a, a living standpoint. So they have to travel up the Euphrates River, and they stop in this town called Haran, and it's in Haran that God appears to Abraham, and He makes this everlasting covenant with Abraham. Apparently, Abraham is a believer in God. His father was not. His father was Terah was an idol worshiper, and Abraham had a couple brothers and siblings, and he had a nephew named Lot. Well, God appears to Abraham and makes this covenant with him, and there's four things in Genesis 12 in this covenant where he says, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make of you a great nation, there's going to be blessing upon those who bless you and cursing upon those who curse you, and from you, there's going to be a seed, and really the Messiah is going to come out of you. And, And this is a very, very important part of Scripture, because this was something that is repeated not only in Genesis 12, but I think again in Genesis 17, and all throughout the New Te- Old Testament into the New Testament, this is a covenant that God made that is not only been fulfilled, but is going to continue to be fulfilled in the future. And at this time, Abraham is 75 years old. He has no children from which any uh, nation or seed would come. He doesn't own any land. He's never been in the promised land. And so this took a huge amount of faith on Abraham's part to actually believe God at this time and this time and continue into this land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Abraham's obedience too is just unbelievable. I mean, God said, "I'm going to send you out," and Abraham says, "Where?" God says, "I'll tell you later. Just go." That that's right, and, and I think that's a great relevant lesson for us today. Is that Abraham and his son Isaac, and then Jacob and the twelve tribes, and all of them, they never actually took possession of the land that was promised. So in other words, they were promised these things, but in their lifetimes, they died. They never saw these promises come true, and yet they still had faith in God that God would bring it to pass. And so we see that in the Hall of Faith in uh, Hebrews 11, that some of these men were considered to be so faithful because they were they were hoping, like uh, hope not like hope upon hopey hope, but they were trusting and they were counting it as this is going to take place, what God has said. And that's a lesson for us today. Yeah. Abraham led a pretty big life. He didn't let circumstances push him around much, did he? No, no, he didn't. And yet, interestingly enough, and this is one of the things I love about Scripture, is it doesn't try to hide uh, the weaknesses even of Abraham. He was one of the, the patriarch of, of uh, the Jewish people, uh, actually even, even the Islamic people, as we're going to find out today, or the Arabic people, I should say. Um, but Abraham, when he came into Canaan for the first time, there was 
there was famine, as we found out in our discussion a couple weeks ago, and they went down to Egypt, and there, Abraham, this man of faith, actually feels he needs to lie about who his wife is. He mm-hmm. says to Sarah, call, call you my sister, because right. he's afraid of the, the king of Egypt taking, uh, you know, killing Abraham on behalf of Sarah so he can bring Sarah into his harem. Well, that, that did not go over well. He was kicked out of Egypt, basically. And so there's this, this great aspect of Abraham that we can look up to him as a, as a person who had incredible faith. And the, probably the greatest uh, you know, example of that is when God tells him to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac. I mean, that, that we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And that is just a, you know, what would you do if you were, you were told that, well, Abraham just, he didn't even question God. He said, okay, well, I guess I'll go sacrifice him. Amazing. And God's going to raise him from the dead. That's how much faith he had. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, uh, what was life like during this time of Abraham? Well, it wasn't like it was, it is now in America. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, basically back then there was, it was a feudal type, you know, p- there were Kings of cities and regions and the kings would would fight against each other in order to enrich themselves. The powerful kings would basically extort the less powerful kings. So they would say, you know, look, we're going to protect you, so to speak, but you must pay us tribute every year. And so some of the stronger kings would exert control over the region by having the, the weaker kings and their people give them money and pay tribute every single year. And when those weaker kings felt like the stronger kings didn't maybe have as much military might— Sometimes they would stop paying those tributes, risking basically that if they came to attack them, they could fend them off. So in Genesis 14, you see this this chapter is on the war of the kings, basically, where the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to get into that in the coming weeks, and the three other kings, so five total kings, stopped paying their annual tribute to the big king in the region. And I'm going to get the pronounce the name wrong, but his name is... Kedor Lamor. Mm-hmm. He's the king of Elam. And there was three other kings with him. They, they came down and they said, look, you're going to stop paying tribute. We're going to attack you. And so this Kedor comes down and attacks Sodom and Gomorrah and these other kings. They, they, they weren't paying tribute. They attack him. They ransack their cities. Hostages are taken. And we find out that, lo and behold, one of the hostages we're very familiar with already in the story Abraham's nephew Lot, because remember, he was living near Sodom now, mm-hmm. was taken as part of the hostage. And so Abraham, who's living maybe 100 miles away, hears about this. And it's very interesting what, what takes place. I'm just going to read a couple verses here, if I, I could. He says, when Abraham, or Abram, his name was then, heard that his relative Lot had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318 men and went in pursuit as far as Dan in the north. And he pursued those forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them. He defeated four kings and their huge army with 318 men. And he pursued them, and he brought back all the goods, and he brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and all the women and all the people. And, you know, read between the lines here that these kings have just taken over five kings in their city and ransacked and pillaged and everything. And Abraham— and 318 of his own men go up, travel 150 miles, and defeat them and bring all the spoil and the hostages back. This was, a, a again, back to the promise that God made to Abraham. There's going to be blessing. There's going to be a nation. There's going to be land. There's going to be seed. There's no way 318 men of this private militia could take on these kings and win. This was obviously God at work early on in the life of Abraham. Mm-hmm. David Wheaton is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, who is King Melchizedek? If you've been wondering who that is, we're going to find out (laughs) in just 90 seconds. 
I'm back with David Wheaton. We're talking about the book of Genesis and how relevant it is for today. David, let's talk about King Melchizedek. I know he yeah. shows up in Genesis and also in Hebrews, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, for those who are listening to have read the New Testament, maybe read the book of Hebrews, they probably see this name. And there's there's a couple uh, chapters in Hebrews, Hebrews 7, I think even more, uh, where this man named Melchizedek, and it's like, Melchizedek, who? I mean, wh- where does this come from? Well, this comes from right back uh, where we are in Genesis 14, uh, after Abraham goes off and defeats these kings uh, and brings back Lot. All of a sudden, this character enter- enters a story called Melchizedek, King Melchizedek of Salem, of Jerusalem, King of Peace. And again, going back to what we discussed at the beginning of the interview today, the theme of the Bible is that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. So the whole Old Testament's looking forward to who is going to come and who is going to stand before us for God. We're sinful. How can we be right with God? And that's going to be Jesus. And whether, whether the Bible specifically talks about the coming of the Messiah or uses a type a person who has some of the same qualities as in Melchizedek, that's what Scripture does all the way through it. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ, and the New Testament, after the Gospels, look back to him. He is the theme of the Bible. He's the one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek, just from that that chapter, in chapter 14 of Genesis, says, then after his Abram's return from the defeat of Ketalomer, and the kings are with him, the king of Sodom, who didn't get killed, by the way, he escaped from that ransacking by this king, went out to meet Abram. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, all of a sudden he enters the story, he brought out bread and wine, and now he was a priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoils. You think, well, how is Whoa. that relevant? Well, it's incredibly relevant because Melchizedek is not only the king of Jerusalem, but he's also a priest there. And apparently he's surprisingly, because hardly anyone was in that time in Canaan, he's a follower of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of God. And so he is this type, but we don't know anything about his history. Mm-hmm. We just know that he's a king and he's a priest. And interestingly enough, it's not Melchizedek paying tithes to Abraham. It's the other way around. It's yeah. Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek. In other words, Melchizedek is even greater than Abram. And wow. So that is the point there, that Christ, this type of Christ, Melchizedek, is this coming Messiah. And even Abram, who would, from which all the, the Levite tribe who served in the temple, who would perform the law, they were subservient to Christ, Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing little nugget of truth there, right there in the Old Testament. Would he be the first one to be receiving a tithe? Probably. Yeah. Probably that's the first time in Scripture, I think, mm-hmm. where there was this 10% tithe that Abram paid to, to Melchizedek. Yeah. All right. How about uh, how is justification by faith founded uh, on Abraham? Let's scoot up to Genesis 15 now. Right. So now you go to the next chapter. And again, this God's reiterating, you know, now Abram's gone and rescued Lot and he's back where he lives in the, in the promised land now, not owning any of it yet, but just living there, residing there. And God reiterates in Genesis 15, now three chapters later, that these, some of these same promises, because Abraham's starting to wonder. Now it's been like 10 years have gone by since the last time, and there's still no son. He's still childless. So he's starting to wonder 
um, Lord, you've given me no son. There's no one born in my house that's going to be my heir except for my servant. His name is Eliezer. And so Abram's thinking, well, is this my servant who's not even from me? Is he going to be? And God says, no, 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 just, just be patient. I am going to give you a son. And God takes him outside. And there's this really powerful passage in Genesis 15 where it says, and God took him outside and said to Abram, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to. Mm. And God said to him, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham's response is in verse 6 of Genesis 15, one of the most important sentences in the entire Bible because it provides the groundwork for how we can be made right with God is, then Abram believed in the Lord and it was reckoned and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And that particular sentence, then Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to Abram as righteousness, is one of the most important passages in the Bible because it describes the only way of salvation. In other words, we're not saved by our works, by doing religious deeds, by going to church, by getting baptized, by being confirmed, by giving to charity, not by trusting in those things. We're saved the same way Abraham was saved, by simply trusting in the revelation of God, trusting God in his revelation. And then it says that God credited him righteousness. And that particular verse you're going to see it used all over the New Testament, uh, Genesis 15, 6, whether it's in Romans 4 or Galatians or James, always goes back to this example of Abram, not the example of him sacrificing his son uh, Isaac, by the way. That was a work he did. He wasn't putting his faith, oh, I sacrificed my son Isaac, I was willing to, therefore I'm saved. That's shown as evidence of his faith. It was years later that he believed in the Lord and God credited to him as righteousness. Uh, powerful. All right, David, I know when uh, God made the covenant with Abraham, the, the way in which they decided to ratify the contract was uh, uh, pretty strong. <laughs> it was. So, you know, later in that chapter, now that Abraham's believed God, the revelation of God, he believes him, and God just, he's going to cement this, cement this in Abram's mind. By, by taking some animals, and Abram cuts them in half, and he puts them in kind of uh, almost like a side-by-side, side, but there's a way to walk through them. And typically when a covenant was made between two people back then, they would walk through the, the cut animals to show, if one of us doesn't keep our side of the agreement, let it be to us as it has been to these animals. Mm -hmm. But this was different. In Genesis 15, it says the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell upon Abram and great terror and darkness fell upon him. And it has this imagery. It says that there, it came to pass as the sun had set, it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces of these animals. Wow. And that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. In other words, it was only one being walking through right. those pieces. It was just God, right. not Abraham. It wasn't conditional on Abraham. Right. And this is the way God is. He has an mm. unconditional promises to us that he's going to do despite our failings. And that's exactly what he did with Abram here. And this smoking oven and this torch represent the utter holiness and the burning holiness of God that goes before us and makes this covenant with Abram. Yeah, kind of the unilateral unilateral agreement. That's right. Yeah, awesome. Okay, now, um, they had uh, Abraham and Sarah, they had, you know, their own plan for fulfilling God's promise, <laughs> which yeah. you would think uh, they wouldn't have, but they did. 
Yeah, well, it's just like us today. You know, God does great things in our life. We read his promises and his word, and we, we feel like we're, we're floating, and we believe God with all our heart and so forth. And all of a sudden, things don't happen quite as we expect them to. They don't happen in the timing that we want them to or the way we want them to. And so we think we need to kind of come in with our own plan instead of following God's plan. And then, you know, changes to Genesis 16. We've gone from 14 to 15 now to 16. And now Abraham and Sarah haven't had children now for 10 years. God's made these promises. There's been these incredible ceremonies and covenants. And finally, Abram's wife, Sarah, just doubts. She just says, well, this isn't going to happen. I'm, you know, how old am I? I'm in my 80s now, I think it was. And I'm way past childbearing age. Certainly God intended for me to have a baby, not me personally, but for my maid Hagar uh, to be married to you, Abraham, and you're going to have your lineage through her, and it's going to be considered ours. You know, it just sounds crazy today, but that was what was done last then. If a man and a woman didn't have a child, they could have a, you know, the, the man would take, you know, the maid of the wife, and then that would be considered the man's child. And it's just such a bad idea all around. So Hagar becomes Abram's wife. They have a, she gets pregnant, and then there's a conflict between Hagar and Sarah, and Sarah casts Hagar out, and it's just a mess. And, and the lesson for us today, of course, is, is again, when God makes promises to us in his word, they're, they're promises the way he wants to fulfill them and in the timing that he wants to do so. And we're going to see from this story, we can talk about next time, how this was such a bad idea, and it came a conflict between the child of Hagar, which was Ishmael, and the eventual son of Sarah, Isaac, that there would be a conflict back then, even to this day. Mm. David, his timing is not our timing. Hardly ever. It's, it's not. And that's how he builds our faith, when we have to patiently wait upon his time and his ways. Mm-hmm. Well, this is really, really, uh, I love this study. Thank you so much for bringing it to, our, to, to my listeners, and it's just uh, been wonderful. Well, thank you, Bill. It's been great for me as well to be a part of it. Yeah. So we'll dig in in a couple of weeks. We'll resume uh, we're right where we left off. That sounds great. Looking right. forward to it. All right. Thanks so much. And who's, uh, who do you have as a guest coming up on Saturday? Um, I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to have my parents on soon. We haven't done our annual interview with my parents who are in their late 80s. So that's going to come up soon. Good. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's always a good one. All right. David Wheaton's been my guest. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his podcast and his books. We will take a little break, and then when we come back, Colin Smith is going to be joining me, and he's got his great summer reading program, which uh, I've been looking at, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's called Open the Bible. It's going to be uh, great to hear more from Colin about it. So we'll take a little break and be right back with Pastor Colin Smith. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Pastor Colin Smith. He's senior pastor of the 
Orchard Evangelical Free Church in Chicago area, and also president of Unlocking the Bible. You hear him all the time right here on Faith Radio. And we're very over-the-top excited about a partnership we have with uh, a new project called uh, Open the Bible. Uh, Colin, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. You know, I have to say, as I've been looking at the uh, website and starting to do the work myself on on the uh, project, it is spectacular. I just have to say, uh, well done. Well, thank you. It is such a joy to be able to invite other people to get into the Bible and to open it, and uh, either to open it on your own or to open it with someone else. And the partnership that we have with Faith Radio to encourage uh, those who are listening to us right now to say, who in the in, in your life needs to know the God of the Bible and might be open to open the Bible with you? I think that's a great invitation, and I'm thrilled that we're able to make it together. And the technology that we can take advantage of today and the work that went into this website is so accessible. It is not scary. It is not intimidating. You know, for people that we're trying to encourage to get into the Word, this is a no-brainer. Well, thank you. Yeah, openthebible.org and it's slash faith radio. Uh, what you'll find there is you will find um, 50 chapters of the Bible, 50 short explanations that you can either read or listen to. And then for each of these sessions, uh, five very accessible and discussable questions that you can either ponder on your own or you can talk with, uh, talk to uh, a friend uh, about. And what we've found is that uh, our people in the church here who tried this first were surprised at the degree to which people were open and responsive to the simple question, would you be interested in opening the Bible with me? Uh, it, it is amazing to us that there are more people responsive to that question than we might have thought or imagined. And very simply, here's a way that you can do it. You go on the website, you read a bit of the Bible, you read the explanation, and we can then talk about the uh, questions together. So as you say, Bill, it's very, very simple. Mm -hmm. And Colin, wouldn't you say that a lot of people, their resistance to Scripture is, how is that relevant today? Yeah, that's right. And I think... Um, uh, where we're able to invite people into the Bible, that answer is very, very quickly um, uh, answered. I mean, uh, you, you come to the very beginning of it where God introduces himself as our creator. And I know there are many, many people who will say, well, I don't believe that. But wait a minute, let's think about the relevance uh, of that to you. Um, if, if you are just the product of random chance, then your life ultimately has no meaning or significance. But if, as the Bible is telling you here, you are uh, a creation of God made in his image, then your life has real meaning and purpose, and you'll find it by getting to know the God who made you. So I, what we're doing is we're simply inviting people to come into this world of the Bible and see what it says. Uh, you may not believe it, but come and have a look. Come and see. That's the way um, uh, Jesus spoke in the New Testament and the way in which people were invited to come to him. Mm -hmm. I just picked out um, number 23, for example, and it's on uh, Jeremiah. And I look at the, the scripture teaching, which is fantastic. It's out of Jeremiah 31. And then as I zip over to the questions, the first question, Colin, is, can you think of a time when change was hard for you? Hmm, I wonder if that's relevant to today. 
<laughs> yes, all of the questions are designed in a way that starts with uh, a person's experience and then brings their experience to relate to the world of the Bible. And it's just for the reason that you said, Bill, so that people can see the connection between the Word of God and their own lives. And uh, uh, and when that is seen, then there's a hunger and a thirst that's created to know more. Mm-hmm. And seeing how I have you on the uh, the show right now, Colin, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. Let's go to question number four in Jeremiah 31, where it says, "What is the uh, er- what is the one area in your life where you are most tempted to operate as if fear, prosperity, or religion is the solution to the human problem?" <laughs> Pretty relevant to today, Colin. But that's that's exactly right. And isn't it striking that the Bible does speak to every sphere of our lives? And uh, one thing that we want people to grasp uh, from this is that the whole Bible really is one story. I think people uh, often know bits and pieces of the Bible, a story here, a story there, but they don't have a sense of its overall message. And uh, so we like to say that the whole Bible is one story. It begins in a garden, it ends in a city. And all the way through, it's about Jesus Christ. So all the way through, we're trying to uh, take people on a journey uh, from the garden to the city and at every step of the journey to point to Jesus Christ, who, of course, is the very center of Scripture. Yeah, and I regularly pray for uh, pastors like yourself because you are uh, ministering God's Word every day and you are spreading the the good news on the airwaves. And when I... uh, you know, pray for the people who are doing the work that you're doing and spreading the good news. I I am just so glad that um, a website like this has become available and is so instantly accessible. I promise uh, when you're listening, uh, if you're listening now, go to uh, openthebible.org and get started because you're going to absolutely love uh, this uh, program and it's going to it's going to change how you interact with people that you want to share your faith with. Because when I sometimes uh, think of the Old Testament passages, Colin, and, you know, if you don't have the book of Malachi or Nehemiah explained to you by a a pastor or a teaching uh, minister, you find yourself kind of hard to understand some of those passages. Yeah, that's right. And yet, actually, the Old Testament is the way in which we come to an understanding of who Jesus is and why we need him. It's how, it's how we know who God is and, and who we are. Uh, Bill, I, I really came to this idea a good number of years ago now, but a fascinating conversation I had with a person. His name is Tony. He's now with the Lord. He had spent his life as a pioneer missionary going to an unreached people group in northern Thailand. He told me a story of how he had met this tribal chief, been invited to stay in this village, uh, built his own home and all the rest of it. And it was just incredible, his story. And, And I said to him after listening to it, how in the world do you begin to explain the gospel to a person who doesn't even know who God is. Mm. And he said to me, we tell them the Bible story. And um, what I learned from that is that, you see, God, in the way that he's given us scripture, has given us what's called a progressive revelation. That's an unfolding story in which step by step, we're actually given the building blocks to know 
who God is and who we are and why we need a savior, what the human problem is, why Jesus is the savior that we need and what it is that he needed to do and what he has done and accomplished and what he's able to do in our lives today. It's all set out step by step. It builds. So if we can take people through the um, uh, through the Bible story, even if their starting point is not to have the faintest idea about who God is, then step by step, block by block, that which we need to know will be revealed. And that's why it's a wonderful thing to be able to take a person through the Bible. I think it's the most effective means of reaching out in evangelism that we have. I couldn't agree more. Well, Colin, what about when you're trying to reach someone who's deeply religious, but is maybe not a Christ follower? You know, sometimes helping the religious come to faith is the biggest challenge. That's exactly right. And um, uh, often what happens with those who are religious is that they have um, picked up a set of traditions and a set of values, but often don't have very much knowledge of the Bible at all. And so, again, there's opportunity there for a person who may have uh, have the idea that by living their own good moral life that they're winning favor with God. And actually, they've never really come to know grace or their need of it or the richness of it. And getting into the Bible story is going to be a means of um, bringing the light um, of grace and of the gospel into that person's life. Mm-hmm. I'm still in this uh, number 23 in Jeremiah. And in question five, it says, how would you know if you had the new life that comes from God? I know that's a yeah. zillion dollar question because uh, even believers uh, who call into the show are concerned whether or not they truly are saved. Yes, and of course, it's a very discussable question, which is the point of good questions, that they um, uh, have more than one possible answer and one right answer. But one thing that I would want to say straight away in regards to that is that there is a genuine love for the Lord that is born within a person's heart. That surely is the evidence of new life. It's a first evidence of it that um, we are brought from a place of having uh, a resistance towards God because we want to establish our own kingdom and run our own lives to a place where seeing his grace and mercy, we have a genuine affection for God, a love for him that therefore becomes the fountain and the motivation of the whole uh, pursuit of uh, the Christian life. Uh, that, that's a sure sign of God's grace and of his presence in our lives. Mm-hmm talking to Pastor Colin Smith, and we're discussing how exciting this uh, new program project is called OpenTheBible.org. We'll take a short break and be right back with Pastor Colin Smith. the show. So glad to have Pastor Colin Smith with me today. We're talking about a project called OpenTheBible.org. You are going to love this 
project, you're going to have to go check it out instantly. Um, Colin, I know as we are trying to get people to read the Bible, to see it as one large narrative story, it's not just a collection of uh, little stories that have, uh, you know, certain morals to the end of the story, but it's one big story. And when people come to this website and they start to uh, read Scripture and get the teaching and start asking questions, um, you, I have to say that the website does such a beautiful job of being so relevant to today. Um, you know, the kinds of questions where, like, if you've gone through a personal tragedy um, and it's maybe hard for you to believe in Jesus, you know, mm. these are the kind of questions that people are just dying to get answered. Yeah. And the Bible speaks to them all. I mean, you, you've taken the example of loss and tragedy. I mean, that's why the book of Lamentations is in the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible that speaks to uh, devastating sorrow and loss. And uh, yeah, there'll be many people that won't know where to open the Bible or um, uh, or how and where it speaks to these particular things. So if we can take people on a journey. It's going to touch uh, the whole of life. And there is such a need for people to feel uh, hope and joy. And I think there's uh, a lot of people suffering, even with some um, depression, and and they're wondering, is is this is this life? Is this it? Is this what what hope do I have? And I can't think of a better time to be inviting people to a project like OpenTheBible.org. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that, Bill. And, you know, I was greatly encouraged um, uh, recently by um, uh, seeing a, a survey uh, that the American Bible Society uh, have done. They, they do it, I believe, uh, each year. But it was very striking to me that in a recent survey, and this is across the entire population uh, of, the, of the U.S., they found that two-thirds of all people um, in the survey that were sampled were interested, said that they would be interested um, to know more about the Bible. And that's astonishing. You think of that, that two out of every three people uh, that you meet um, may have some interest in knowing more about the Word of God if they were asked, if they were invited, if there was an accessible opportunity for, the, uh, for uh, them to do that. I think that's marvelous. In fact, even amongst those who were skeptical or hostile, one in five said they'd still like to know more, which was absolutely fascinating to me. So just because someone's skeptical doesn't mean that they're not interested in finding out more. Some are. And so what a marvelous opportunity for uh, for us as those who are served by Faith Radio um, across this very, very broad region. Uh, if God should lay it upon our hearts to say, now, who is there in my life who needs to know the God of the Bible and just might be open to open the Bible with me if I invited them? Uh, I can only tell you, Bill, that from uh, our pilot project here in the church, we've had grandparents doing it with teenage grandchildren. Who they say, my, you know, I've got a grandson, doesn't know anything about the Bible, doesn't know anything about the Lord. I'm going to ask him if he, or her if she would be willing to do it. And we'll talk over the phone for half an hour once a week. And uh, they've been doing it um, uh, week on week uh, now uh, uh, for, for several months. Uh, that's marvelous. Um, people doing it over Skype, people doing it in Zoom calls and all the rest of it. Um, there are all kinds of ways to have a conversation in which you can encourage someone else to get into the word of God and see 
what God by his Holy Spirit will do when the light of his word gets into their hearts. Mm -hmm. Colin, I I saw this statistic that was kind of alarming, where 93% uh, said that there was a God that existed, but 75% said there is no such thing as absolute truth. So I can't think of a more important time right now than to get God's word into people's uh, hearts and hands. That's right. And uh, of course, the thing is that um, uh, we come to a discovery of truth by the power of truth grasping us. And uh, that, that's that's the thing. If you can get someone to come into the Bible, just let the truth do its work because it's living. The, the word of God is living seed. Um, and it's the living seed that brings about the new birth, generates new life. So uh, where we want to see people come to new life in Christ, the thing to do is scatter the living seed. That's the word of God. Mm-hmm. Get people into the Bible if you can. Yeah, so Colin, if people do have a new life in Christ, what role does the Holy Spirit play in that experience? Well, first, the Holy Spirit brings that new life. Um, we're born. Uh, there are two statements about how we're born again in the New Testament. One uh, is in John 3, of course, that we're born again by the Spirit. And the second is in First Peter, that we're born again by the living and enduring word of God. So the Spirit takes the word and brings new life. And then what the Spirit does is he takes the same word to sustain that life. And that's why Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So not only does the word of God generate new life, bring new life, it sustains new life. It's the bread, it's the milk, it's the meat. Um, that causes Christian, uh, a Christian to uh, uh, not only uh, live, uh, but to be sustained in life and to grow. So uh, whether we're talking about believers who need to be built up or unbelievers who need to come to a knowledge of the truth, the Word of God really is the way. Colin, what do you think most believers, or if you were to survey believers, what would you say is one of the hardest obstacles for believers to fully uh, understand, embrace, and grasp? Oh, um, uh, to, to fully understand and, and, uh, and grasp yeah. I the probably... knowledge. Go ahead. The knowledge, the knowledge of God himself, because okay. to all eternity, um, uh, his infinite holiness and majesty and power and his very nature um, are going to leave us lost in wonder and love and in praise Uh, God is beyond what we can ever figure out, but he's not unknowable. He has made himself known. And that's the whole point of the scriptures, that God has made himself known to us in and through his word so that uh, the one who otherwise would be hidden from us forever may be known and enjoyed forever we may come by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to know him as our Father and our God. Um, that, that's, that's the most marvelous thing at the very center of the revelation that's been given to us in Scripture. Mm-hmm. I always think of people that um, talk about, you know, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, because the mm. person of the Holy Spirit lives in us. Mm. I, I think people have a hard time grasping that because you're not going to do certain things if you have company in your living room, Right. Mm. You're yeah, going to that's right. be a little bit more yep. civilized, maybe. <laughs> and you're not going to clip your toenails while you have company over. But you have the person of the Holy Spirit, one of the, you know, the, the triune God living inside of you. And yet we conduct ourselves in, in ways that we should be cringing. 
Yeah, that's right. And Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit as being with you and being in you. Yes. So both the one who comes alongside and the one who indwells. I mean, isn't that a remarkable thing, an amazing thing, that our relationship with the Lord is more than simply believing that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there really is a union that takes place. We are united with Christ. And the way that that works out is that having his life in us and us being in him, his spirit, as you say, Bill, actually lives with us and lives within us. Now, that see, that's why being a Christian is more than simply a set of to-dos. It really is a new life. It's like a fountain springing up from within. There are new affections, there are new desires, and they're actually brought about by the presence of the Spirit of God. They're generated from the Word of God. It's a marvelous thing. Some folks have the idea the Bible's just information. Well, if that's all it is, then it's a very limited um, uh, interest. But the Bible is much more than information. This is God's Word. This is how He speaks to us. This is how life is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So, yeah, well, I, I, I am so glad, Bill, that you have joy in inviting people to get into the Bible. I share that joy, and I'm thrilled that we're inviting people to do it together. Yeah, Colin, thank you so much for um, the work that you've done on this. And it's, it's Summer in the Scriptures. Anyone can go to MyFaithRadio.com. You'll see Summer in the Scriptures. Just click on that. That'll take you right to um, OpenTheBible.org. Uh, Colin, have a wonderful day, and thanks for joining me today. That's a great pleasure. God bless you, Bill. I certainly hope you get over to uh, check it out, myfaithradio.com, and it'll take you right to our link to open the Bible, and you will thoroughly enjoy that because it does give you Scripture, and it gives you teaching, and it gives you uh, some great questions, which is uh, wonderful. So coming up tomorrow, we're going to have Guide Talk, which I always enjoy. I hope you do as well. And then uh, my friend, Dr. Greg Headington, is going to be uh, talking about Jerusalem tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, he has been doing about a you know, 15 or 20-week study in his uh, hometown. He lives in Dallas and talking about uh, the significance of Jerusalem for believers today and how it uh, is um, impacting the world. It's going to be a great conversation. That's all coming up tomorrow And then starting on Monday, just so you know, the show is going to be shifting times from 3 to 5 Central Standard Time to 4 to 6 Central Standard Time. So uh, there's going to be a lot of people when they resume going back to work, they get in their car at 5 o'clock and they start their commute home, they will be able to listen to the program uh, from 5 to 6 as well. So I know a lot of the listeners out in the Hartford area, when I see... When they listen, boy, the time that they're listening is big time between uh, 4 and 5, which is 5 and 6 their time. So it's going to probably cut into a little bit of their early time at home, maybe making dinner, and hopefully they can still listen to the show and enjoy it. And, of course, if you miss any of the show, you can always go to the website and then go to the uh, Afternoons with Bill uh, show page, and you can send uh, copies of any interview you hear to a friend or a family member or someone that you're sharing your faith with. Or maybe you just missed it yourself and you want to catch up and you can go and listen to the uh, podcast anytime you want. I just please encourage you to take advantage of that resource because it is a great way to start a conversation with somebody that you are sharing your hope with in Christ. Because 
you're going to hear an interview that's going to say that is something that my friend Ed needs to hear. And you can just send in the link and and it's uh, very non-threatening. Your friend Ed can click on the link and listen to some, a uh, little of it, all of it. And then all of a sudden you've got a point of discussion you can have um, because it lets Ed know your friend that you're caring about him and you heard something you thought he would enjoy. And it's, uh, it's really wonderful to be looking for new ways to share the hope you have in Christ with others. We're certainly living in the most unusual time, and I'm praying for our country and our leaders, and I'm praying for all of us, and especially the ones that might feel a little isolated. I hope Faith Radio is a constant companion and friend, and I pray that you're not feeling too lonely because uh, I worry about you, and I hope that you are uh, have that deep joy of the Lord in your heart. If you're not getting the company that you want, because uh, you're not being able to connect with your kids and grandkids. All that stuff is really hard. But uh, know that God is involved with every detail of your life, every minute of your day. And the fact you can turn into Faith Radio and listen to the programming here makes me very happy. And thank you, too, for your very generous support of Faith Radio. It means the whole world to us. And we are uh, pretty close to meeting our full budget, but we're just a little short. So if it moves you to... Uh, Give online to MyFaithRadio.com. That would be wonderful as well. I hope you have a wonderful night as you lay your head on that pillow tonight. Just know that God is working out his great plan in your life. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.